Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast August Mailbag Edition. I can't believe it's August already. Uh, obviously, we didn't end up doing a July mailbag just because um, the Euros and everything that entailed. Um, but obviously, the Euros has just finished uh, and we're coming not that far away now. What, five weeks until the WSL starts again and teams are already training, albeit without their players from the Euros, etc., etc. So we thought a good kind of post-Euros pre-season mailbag uh, was was the order of the day, really. Um, and as ever, I'm joined... Sorry, I should have introduced myself. I'm Tim Stillman, uh, one of the hosts. Uh, and as ever, <laughs> joined by Alex Ibaceta. Alex, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Still recovering from this last month, but doing a bit better on the Wednesday. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, indeed. And we'll, and we'll talk about that, obviously, at the top of the show. And also joined by Pippa Monique. Pippa, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad Alex mentioned the day because I have no idea what day of the week it is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Still just living life on the on the high of the lionesses when So, yeah. Buzzing. Yeah, it's weird when you're in tournament mode, isn't it? It's just like, what day of the week is this? What time is it? Who am I? Where do I live? Um, all of those things. And um, obviously, we've had some questions about the Euros, but obviously this being an Arsenal podcast, um, most of the questions about about Arsenal. But let's start at the top. Um, Pippa, I'll ask you, um, as someone else who was there on Sunday as an England fan, you know, we're nearly 72 hours past this thing. England won the European Champions Championships at Wembley Stadium in front of 90,000 people. What was your kind of, uh, first of all, what was your experience on Sunday? And I guess your your emotional response to this, um, particularly as we're, you know, we're three days later at the time of recording. I mean, I'm it's still sinking in now. When I, when I arrived at Wembley, I was already, like the moment I took train to Wembley, which is, I normally drive there, right? But I took the train and I stepped out of the station. And when I saw the sea of fans, I immediately became emotional. I had tears in my eyes and I was like, get yourself together, get a grip. Like, this is kind of embarrassing. Um, and I was just walking down Wembley Way and I couldn't believe how many fans were there. Obviously, we knew what the expectations were, but just to see it in the flesh was just amazing. So the build-up to the game, I was already on emotional, like, emotional roller coaster. And then the game starts, you see the warm-ups, you see the performance, which was absolutely amazing, by the way. Um, and then when the game starts, all of a sudden, I'm a bag of nerves. But England started so well that I, they kind of calmed my nerves. But I was waiting, waiting for that goal. Then it, when it finally came in the second half, Ella Toon, just sublime goal, unreal pass from Kira Walsh. My emotions were an absolute mess. I was thinking, oh my God, we've only got like what? I don't remember. Was it like 15 or 20? Something like that, just to hold on. And I was like, surely we can do it. Just hold on. But the moment that Germany goal went in, I was like, it's all over. Honestly, I thought it was all over. I've been to every single Germany game in the tournament and they don't know how to lose. <laughs> they've just been so strong so I was like oh that was the moment and it's gone now but Chloe Kelly man 
absolute national treasure now. If she wasn't already, she definitely is now because I had tears rolling down my eyes when that goal went in. Obviously, I was screaming and jumping around first. And then when I finally calmed down, the tears were just all over the place. Um, so I'm just still, it's still so surreal. Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of similar for me, really. Like, I've never been, like, an enormous England kind of fan in, in men's, or even the women's, um, to be honest with you. But I'm, I'm very much a tournament glory hunter. That's kind of where I sit with international football. But, I, you know, I went to, I didn't go to the opening game against Austria, but I went to all the other England games in this tournament. Uh, and like you, Pippa, I saw a lot of Germany in person as well because they played most of their games at Brentford. Um, I did have a ticket for that semi-final at MK, but the rail strike did for me. And, and so like you, they're the team I saw the second most of after England. And like you, when they equalised, I, I turned to my mates and I said, I'd take penalties right now. Because um, I just, I, I felt, that when it got to one more, I just felt they were really on top at that point. And, and yeah, and, but I, I felt undeniably, I felt more emotional about this than I would have, you know, had the men won the Euros last summer. And I was emotionally invested in that as well. And I, I went to the semi final against Denmark last summer and I, w- I was all in on that. But just undoubtedly, I think, because of, you know, what it could mean for, for women's football in this country. And, you know, I, I don't know about you as well. I was at the Spain quarterfinal and the number one reason I was so scared in that last few minutes wasn't so much the England fan in me, but I was thinking, oh man, if England go out at this stage when there's so much of the tournament still to go, it's just going to be like a deflated balloon. And it's, you know, because like these tournaments, they pick up as you go through. And I thought, oh, if England get done by Spain here, then... You know, the rest of the tournament, it's just going to be that fairly small niche circle of people who are very inv- already invested in women's football who are going to be responding to it. So uh, undeniably, I felt more emotional um, because of that. But Alex, um, as someone who wore the opposing shirt, I believe, <laughs> at all of England's knockout games, including the final. I'm not going to ask you for your emotional response to Sunday, but just ask you for your kind of, first of all, your overall experience of the tournament, both from a work perspective and as a fan. Um, and yeah, just just what you took from this tournament this summer. Yeah, there's, oh, there's so many things to talk about. And like, ironically enough, I was wearing a Germany kit, obviously, at the final. Uh, I think just because I was supporting them quite a quite heavily throughout the tournament so I thought I can't be that person that switches alliances at the last moment just because um so I stuck that through but I was I, I mean even I was emotional you know obviously I I live here you know I cover the WSL I'm quite heavily invested in a lot of these players on the England squad so it's not like I was supporting Germany but at the same time I was never going to be mad that England won you know that was never I was never going to be you know, pissed off that Germany lost and England won. It was always going to be a win. Um, and it sounds really cliche to say, but it is a win for, for women's football in England in particular. And like, I can't be mad about that no matter what. Um, so the fact that I think got it, it was, I think what made me emotional. Um, and the first time that I really felt emotional this tournament was, I mean, outside of when Spain lost to, to England, I was, my, my experience for that was I was obviously in my Spanish shirt um, surrounded by England fans and Spain scored first and I without like without a second thinking I literally I stood up and I just went 
vamos! I like I fully yelled it out, was celebrating, and then when my conscience started coming back to me, and I realized where I was in the middle of English fans, I kind of I stopped and I looked around, and everyone was just staring at me, and I was like, mm -hmm, "Hi." <laughs> so that was awkward, but no, it was um, it was emotional. I think this was you know one of the best experiences I've had in terms of women's football tournaments. You know, apart from from the crowds, which you know can be talked about always, but like, the football was amazing. You know, England and Germany got to the final very well deserving it because they played some of the best football in the entire tournament. And you look at, you know, that Spain-England game, that was an amazing match of football. Um, you know, even like the the kind of smaller teams that you would not really give much to, like Sweden, Portugal, Portugal, Netherlands, like some people kind of wrote those games off Um I mean, you know, understandably, but, you know, Portugal, Switzerland, all these smaller teams really gave the big names uh, a run for their money. I thought that was really exciting. I think that's the big takeaway from this tournament is that, you know, women's football is finally being admired as football and the quality is on show. You know, the people are interested. They just want to watch a good match of football. And I think we're finally at the moment where, yeah, it's, it's just about football now. You know, we still have all the attendances and all those issues to kind of figure out, but people are paying attention to it more and, and realizing that it is, you know, it's, it's just football and that's it. And you can appreciate it whether you like um, men's football or not. So it's just all coming together quite nicely. Um, so yeah, the, the tournament, I think it's big. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I think that's a really good point as well about like the interest is there now because one of the things, and, and look, we will do it a bit on this podcast because of some of the questions, but sometimes I think in women's football, we're constantly trying to look to the future, you know, and like, what could this become? What happens now? How do we build on this? And and, uh, and those are all worthwhile questions, but sometimes I think we forget to go, this is what it is now, and it's good, you know? Um, and, and I think like in terms of covering it, that's that's something we need to keep saying because uh, that's what hooks new people in. So that, that's kind of um, the overall like 30,000 foot view of the Euros. Not going to dwell on it too much, although I suspect Pippa and I could talk quite a lot more about um, England winning it uh, because I'm, I'm very, very conscious that I think most of our listeners actually aren't English. So, um, you know, there, there are other podcasts that celebrate <laughs> England's win for kind of 55, 60 minutes or so uh, elsewhere. So let's crack on with some of the questions. Now, um, I, I'm going to address one question at the top. Um, just because we, we had a lot of flavours of this question, obviously about transfers this summer, because Arsenal, in terms of what they've got done, haven't got very much done. They brought in uh, basically a backup goalkeeper. In, um, I, I, I should have checked how to pronounce her surname before we came on air, but uh, Kaylin McKersey, um, American goalkeeper from Kersian. And I don't think that really changes the goalkeeper situation very much. I think it's very clear that she's going to be back up to Manu Zinsberger. I know Arsenal wanted Lydia Williams to stay. They tried to persuade her to stay. So I don't think they foresaw much of a change in the goalkeeping dynamic. I think Manu Zinsberger's got the number one shirt in more ways than one for next season. Now, the, the, the question I'm going to use, because we had loads about transfers and who are we going to sign, who are we interested in, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the truth is, at this stage, I don't know. Uh, everything I know is basically in the public domain at this point, so I'm not hiding anything up my sleeve um, and that's basically that Nikita Paris is about to go to Manchester United. I expect that to be announced at some point this week, probably. And in terms of incomings, um, 
Uh, Yelena Sankovic, I've probably butchered the pronunciation of that, from Rosengard, is a target. Arsenal and Chelsea have both um, activated her release clause. She was left out of Rosengard's game um, earlier this week, which I think tells you that she's going to go to one of those clubs. I don't have any more on that at the moment. But the question... Um, I, I'm going to hook it to is from Eileen uh, 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 at Eileen EST, um, who's a very good follow on Twitter, by the way, for Arsenal women uh, stuff. Do you think we have clarity about our transfer strategy this summer? Jonas talked about having a couple of gems, but according to the rumours, we've gone mainly after backups to the first eleven. So my, my uh, and I'm going to say from the top, I am certain I do not know everything. In fact, I think I only know a portion of what's actually been going on. It's been quiet and I've spoken to other journalists who've asked me and said what's going on because I don't know like Arsenal have been very quiet this summer what I do know is at the outset of the summer they had some big targets um, and essentially what's happened is they haven't landed some of those big targets because obviously the bigger the target the more the competition etc um, etc et so I know they've been ambitious in what they've gone for um, but basically from what I can see they haven't Man, you know, we know about JC who went to Barcelona. Um, I believe there was interest in the Swedish winger, Canarid, uh, who's going to Chelsea. Um, there are other bits and pieces I've heard um, about fairly ambitious targets, but basically we haven't landed any of them. So I don't think it's right that we've been going for backups so much. In fact, I think what Jonas said, which was he said to me in May, which was we're only after diamonds. I do think that's largely true, but I do I don't really know what happens next because we haven't landed a lot of them basically. And does that mean we're going down the list a little bit? I, I su- suggest so, um, but at the moment I don't have any more uh, on that in terms of who we're going to sign or what to expect. Um, but if that changes, I'll probably drop some hints. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to address that one at the top because we ha- obviously had loads of questions about about transfers. So anyway, um, let's let's address this question, um, and I'm going to throw it to you, Alex. Um, and it's from Iogo uh, underscore fourteen on Twitter. Do you think Viv playing as a 10 leaves our midfield short because we're basically playing a front four? And are you worried that that won't work in the big games, for example, like Wolfsburg away last season? Um, That's a hard one because I see the logic of, you know, playing the back four and we know that, you know, Viv can kind of recuperate defensively, but essentially she won't. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. It's just her positioning. She wants to be high, get the ball back. So she's not going to drop as deep as you would expect a a normal midfielder. But at the same time, I think the two players that would be essentially behind her should kind of be able to be able to, to kind of keep the midfield together without Viv essentially dropping too, too deep in the defensive line. Um, but look, we, we know, it's not a secret that Viv loves to play this. I mean, she dropped in, she did it for the Netherlands a few times this tournament as well. And that's, you know, it's something that she loves, but it's not like it's the first time that any team is having, you know, like a, a false nine kind of 10 striker role in, in whatever team, you know, it works. Like, it's not like, um, it's kind of, you know, Jonas is pulling something new out of his sleeve to, to try and test it with Viv. Um, I think, you've seen teams play it successfully, you know, with Alex Pop plays in the midfield, it's the same vibe. Alexia playing in the midfield, it's the same vibe. Even, you know, you look at France's tournament, you see Gerasquerioro, um, she was really, really high and she got that hat-trick in the opening match. 
as you know as a midfielder so it's not it's not crazy to kind of think that it's not going to work it's just a matter of it's a it's a process it's it's a style of play that in order for it to be done well you really need to understand each other on the pitch off the pitch and kind of know what you're doing and that's going to be the the challenge for Jonas and Viv and everyone else to kind of get the hang of it because obviously you look at Arsenal and the way that you know Montemurro ball didn't really have that kind of high 10 it was kind of a, a very traditional midfield in the sense that the three kind of all worked together and moved along together um whereas now Viv would kind of stagger about from the eight and the six but it's it's possible and you know it I think Viv does it really well and I am really excited to see an entire season of potentially Viv as 10 uh but again it, I think it's it's less down to the fact that Viv is playing as a 10 more about how she reacts how Jonas reacts and how everyone else around her reacts to it yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm not really worried about this in the big games, actually. The first game we saw, uh, Viv Stenius, as it were, from the start was Chelsea away. Worked fine then. Um, and the way Viv keeps the ball and protects the ball, I think, is really valuable, actually, um, in a midfield sense. Uh, like one of the signings that Arsenal have been trying to make is another striker because... Uh, I'd say now I don't think we'll see Miedema play as a number nine for Arsenal again. Um, I think she's a, she's going to be a 10 and that's that. I just don't think she's the type of striker that Jonas really ever ever liked. I think he just prefers her there. And I thought that before he signed Stina as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a lot more about what goes on around that. And when I look at Wolfsburg, you know, like... <sighs> I, I had a little bit of PTSD watching that final at Wembley because they've got so many Wolfsburg players and the way they press you and harry you and rotate, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, that, you know, I, I remember that from the Champions League game and how we failed to cope with that. But I really hope players like Beth Mead and Leah Williamson come back and think, I've just beaten them in a European final. Um, why can't I do that with my club? Uh, what what did we do? Because, you know, it's it's a very like Wolfsburg Bayern team, so um, we'll see. Um, Pippa, let me put this uh, put this one to you, and this is from Alistair Wood at Alleyboy82. Are you concerned that the team may start the season slowly following so many key players being at the Euros? We play City, Spurs, and Spurs, by the way, have done some pretty good business this summer, it has to be said. They look like they want to push on. Uh, and a crucial Champions League qualifier next month, do you think we'll be prepared? Oh, of course I'm concerned. This is it's always a concern for any team with players missing coming back from a competition. Um, it's going to be hopefully not a slow start. I mean, a lot of the players are already training now, but the players that were in the final um, are going to be returning a lot later, of course. I know some of them are off on their celebrations on holiday. Hopefully they cut their holidays short and know that we've got a big, big season ahead of us because we fell short last season by such a small margin um, and it's really all to play for. And as we know, every single game is important and it's such big games at the beginning of the season that these games have to be won. And so we need our strongest squad possible available for the game and ready in all fitness and me mentality to be ready for them first games of the season. Yeah, I, I, I don't worry about it overall, but maybe I worry a bit about that City game just because ordinarily you'd say, well, City have got exactly the same thing. In fact, they got more players in the England squad than Arsenal have. But because they've got that early Champions League qualifier, I I think that helped us in those big early games last season because we you know we'd played some some football uh, some competitive football and Chelsea didn't look ready to yeah. me when we played them on the first day and I hope that doesn't happen to us 
um, at the Academy Stadium. I'm a little bit worried about that game, less so the rest of them. So, Alex, I'm going to throw this question to you, and it comes from Leah Volte's PR team um, at Sky Blue FCS. Might be competing with me for that job. Um, how do you honestly see our chances in the UWCL next season? This season, if we don't win the league or the Champions League, would that be deemed as a failure, even if we won one or both of the domestic cups? I think realistically, we won't win the Champions League. Um, looking at the teams around us and looking at the, the history of the Champions League and what, in the past couple of years, I think winning the Champions League is um, far-fetched. Realistically, you know, it's football and anything is possible and Viv can score a hat-trick in the final. Um, and that's always a possibility. But realistically, I think winning the Champions League can't be deemed as a failure because at the moment, I don't think it's entirely realistic. Winning the league, on the other hand, I think if we don't win the league this season, it could that could definitely be a failure considering how close we ran this season um, and how long it's been since we haven't won and the fact that Chelsea had just been winning ever since um, our last... Uh, league trophy so I think yeah winning the league could be definitely deemed as a failure overall because of how close we were and how close we should be this season considering that it's we we haven't really rotated a lot of the team you know the, the core of the squad is still there and you can easily push that momentum onto the next season quite easily especially if you're going to give Viv a run at the 10 for the entire season um that when it gets to these big games you know, it matters and, and the players can push through. And especially, you know, when you look at the contracts of Viv and, and Leah Williamson, you know, a lot is riding on those contracts um, and how the team does this season. So if you look at the overall thing, I think, yeah, winning not winning the league would be deemed as a failure. But at the same time, you have to put it into context with everything else that's happening. And you can't really put that in the same level as winning the Champions League, because I think that's that's a few more years to come. Yeah, that would be definitely a building process. I I think I think in league terms, there's a value in the fact that Arsenal might go into the season with a with stability, given the amount of turnover there was last year. Albeit, I think they have to make um, a couple of additions still. In terms of what's needed to win the Champions League, I can't see Arsenal at this stage doing what they'd need to do in the transfer market for that. And even if they did, it would then take another couple of years. For for me. Improvement in the Champions League means if we get to play like one of the teams in that cluster, like Wolfsburg, PSG, um, Bayern, you know, that level of team, like winning a game like that and perhaps getting through to the semi-final. Like if we lose to Lyon or Barca, we lose to Lyon or Barca, but I'd really like to see us beat one of those teams that I regard in the cluster just below um, like, like Chelsea as well, for example. So if we got to a quarterfinal and played Chelsea, Wolfsburg, PSG, Bayern, um, I want to see us beat one of those teams. Uh, I consider that progress Champions League-wise. Um, Pippa, if I throw this one over to you, um, from Johnny Ace 1940 at One Squadron, do Arsenal need to look at their development of young players with so many going out on loan or being released? For example, how did Arsenal let Chloe Kelly leave? Oh, and I honestly knew this question would start coming up. I even had someone that has never really even watched women's football before WhatsApp me the other day and said, oh my gosh, did you know Chloe Kelly's a product of Arsenal? I said, yes. Yes, I did know. Um, so are so many other players that have played in the WSL at some point in their career have some at some point played for Arsenal or come through that, that academy system. But, you know, it's, it's 
I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. We've had so many young players, even recently on our books, that have not actually been given a chance. And it's so hard because the, the league is super competitive now and where Arsenal want to be. We're not, we're not where we need to be right now. Obviously, we're still competing at the highest level, but we're not a team that's winning consistently every single season. We're in, we're in this position in a, in a small league such as WSL to give these young players a chance, which sounds so unfair. But when we had a Ruby Mace that didn't get a chance to feature as much as she should have done, of course, she's going to go off to another WSL team. And, and then again, it's another team that's competing at a higher level. So it's so hard for these younger teams. Obviously, in hindsight, you would say, yes, of course, give them a chance. We can all say we produce the best young talent in the country. But it's easier said than done because we're, we're trying to get the, the best players, the, the creme de la creme, to come and compete so we can win or compete in the Champions League. Yeah, I completely agree. The, the thing is, in women's fo- domestic football, there just aren't enough games, um, I don't think, to give these sorts of players. Arsenal did not want to lose Chloe Kelly. So when Chloe Kelly, she first left on loan for Everton, she my understanding is she wanted to go permanently and Arsenal said, no, no, let's do a loan, let's do a loan. And and then we can revisit it, revisit it in a year. And she came back from loan, and they wanted to keep her. And she said, "No, I've been playing every week at Everton. I want to." And and you're exactly right, Pippa. It's, I think it's just an unsolvable problem. You can't have both a, a team that's competitive at the very highest level and you know be giving games to academy players because there just aren't the games there for them unless they're like it's Leah Williamson and they're just already elite at the age of 17 18 I just I I think those two things are incongruous unfortunately so I agree I I think it's worth saying that Arsenal have um you know in keeping Jen Beattie on they've given her that mentoring role with the academy which I see as um maybe a bit of a, a of a move to try and amend that a little bit and try and close the gap between the academy and the first team but I agree I think it's just easier said than done unfortunately ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Uh, Alex, if I go to you with this, uh, Belinda, at Belinda AWFC, do you think the attendance boost from the Euros will be sustained uh, given the location of Boreham Wood, kickoff times, etc.? cetera? I, I guess, um, do you see there being um, a rise, uh, like a consistent rise in attendances, uh, particularly for those games in uh, Boreham Wood next season? I mean, you know, to be fair, in the last season or two we have seen really good attendances for those big matches you know Arsenal Chelsea at Meadow Park at Kings Meadow that's both been sold out 
Um, but then, you know, an Arsenal Brighton or an Arsenal Reading, it, it's not even, and even an Arsenal Tottenham, like, you know, it's, it's just not that popular and in demand when big name players aren't in the squads. Um, and it's a bit of a shame, but now you look at the Euros and hopefully, hopefully people start paying attention to the names that they saw at the Euros, you know, outside of Arsenal, Chelsea, all these things, you know, you know, Everton has a Hannah Benenson who scored that banger um, for Sweden. Um, you know, you have all these, these names that are scattered subtly around um, the WSL and you're hoping that people kind of pay attention to that. But at the same time, it's hard. I think, I think it's, it's not in kind of, it's hard to explain. It's just, I think it's heavily dependent on how each club reacts to this. Um, and we've seen it before where, you know, it's, it's quite simple to keep up the momentum, but whether the clubs are going to invest in keeping up the momentum, that's a whole nother story. Cause it's the same for, you know, the 2019 world cup is the same for, for not even working for the zone. You know, we're trying to figure out how to keep the momentum going into the women's champions league. And it's not that easy and it takes time and you do have to invest a bit of time into that. So it's just a matter of a decision of, of a club to club basis, whether they want to do that. So if Arsenal, you know, we've complained about Arsenal plenty on this podcast, about how the marketing is just, you know, poor. Um, and again, you know, they have marketing and they have a lot more marketing than many other clubs, but we don't look at the stature of, of Arsenal and the players that they have now. Um, I think it needs to step up the game, and that's quite simple. Um, it's, it's 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 obviously not as easy as that, but it's as easy as that to recognize that they're not doing enough. And if they don't do that right this moment, then it's gonna you know it's you're gonna see a mid season drop when people don't really think about the Euros anymore, when people don't really have interest in it anymore, or they don't really even know what's happening. Um, cause right now it's quite easy to, to look at the WSL and you see the opening, you know, the opening weekend and you see the fixtures coming up, but then, you know, mid season, yeah, when Arsenal are playing a Brighton at home, you need, that's when you need to kind of keep the consistency up. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's more down to what the club are going to do rather than kind of anybody else. Um, so I think it's going to be dependent on that. Yeah, I, I think the question's phrased pretty well as well, because obviously we're going to have six games at the Emirates next year. Ho hopefully, you know, um, if we get into the Champions League group stage, I think you've already seen the amount of like guerrilla marketing and marketing around the North London derby. I think Arsenal have been very hot on that. They very nearly sold out the lower tier um, for that. Um, it's just been announced that's going to be a Saturday lunchtime during a men's international break. That to me has all the ingredients of like a big crowd. A lot of these early games do. I think, I think there are a few things going on here. I think, I think you're right, Alex. It's do we see a difference in Brighton at home, Reading at home? A lot of that. I, I think it's important to look at where we've come from and those, those, attendances have crept up they've crept up not by a lot and actually post pandemic it's taken like a little bit of a hit but I remember after the 2015 World Cup Arsenal played Liverpool and it was heaving and it was sold out and then that didn't happen again but there was a little bit of legacy there like a, a, you know maybe a hundred of those people came back like I think we'll see in those games maybe a little bit the other thing that, that the WSL does have going for it is that it will continue during the men's world cup so during November December that that can be a really critical period as well because 
obviously it might be competing with World Cup games on TV, albeit I think the kickoff times mean that they shouldn't clash too much. But if you want to go to football during that period, the WSL is going to be your best bet. And I'd really like to really like to think they'll capitalize on that. I, I think throwing in the thing about kickoff times is is um I think that's going to be crucial as well. Arsenal had far too many Sunday 645 home games last season. Far too many. One of the best attended games last season was Everton at home last October. And that was a Sunday three o'clock. And it, there was no clash with the men's team. It was a, a, like a good time. It was still on TV. Um, I can't remember if it was during a men's international break. I think it might have been, but it was at Meadow Park. And that was not only one of the best attended games, but for me, one of the best in terms of atmosphere. Um, so I do think there is a thing about kickoff times. Obviously, like Sky are going to have that evening slot. They do it because it's good for TV and that is needed. But I, I hope there's a bit more of a spread next year and we're not playing at Boreham Wood at seven o'clock on a Sunday night every other week because I, the, in that case, the attendances will not go up. Uh, I am certain of that. So, um Pippa, if I throw this one to you, it's from Connor, who uh, brilliantly named on Twitter Diego Maracona. Um, do you have any out there predictions for Arsenal this season? I'm going with, with Laura Weinreuter to be the first choice right back by the end of the season. So is there something you can see happening with Arsenal next season that maybe um, nobody else foresees or that we might be talking about this time next year saying, wow, where did this come from? Oh, you throw me on the spot there. I'm so bad at thinking of things like that on the spot. Like, So basically I've got to think of a bold prediction. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what would be a bold prediction? Go on, P- Pippa. Hot take right now. Oh, no. Um, oh, gosh. Right, let's think quickly. No, it's not coming. All I'm thinking about is like top score or something like that. That's too basic. So he's gone for Laura, right? First right back choice. Yeah, to, to like get in ahead of... Um... Uh, ahead of Noel Maritz, who obviously kind of has that that mm. right back slot on lockdown, but Laura, uh, t- to be honest, not been. Well, I wasn't massively impressed with Laura when she came into the team uh, last season. Albeit her minutes were kind of all over the place, and you know she came in mid season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, but in the Euros, I thought she was absolutely yeah. outstanding. Yeah, um, and there were there were other players who came in in the middle of the season who I expect have big seasons this year. So Hafaeli, Stinner, Black, Stinius. I think the fact that they've come in when they have. Yeah, I'm not going to say that makes them like new signings because that's just like a bit of an excuse for not really signing anyone so far this summer. But I do expect them to be like quite big next season. Um, Bold prediction. This is horrible. Okay, I'm going to go with, is this bold? Katie McKay will have the most assists. Is that bold or no? Well, when Beth Mead's in the team, I'd say so, yeah. Is that bold or not? Alex, don't look in first. <laughs> <laughs> what would you go for? I, I think my one's going to be, I'm going to say uh, Steena to be WSL top scorer. Oh, no, that is bold. That is bold because Sam Kerr's in the league. Yeah, I was thinking that, that is tasty. Was Sam That's right. Yeah. That's my. Do you have one, Alex? I, I'm kind of. I want to. It's. I want to lead on Viv. Still getting within the top three, uh, goal scorers of the league. I think mainly. I think this is just my Barcelona heart. I'm hoping that she kind of lives up to the same level that Alexia does for Barcelona. 
Because if you look at Alexia, I think she finished with like 17 goals and 11 assists, something like that in the season. She finished third top goal scorer in the league. Um, and realistically, if Viv gets, you know, she comes in feeling good, which I think she will because she's had, sadly, the Netherlands did come out early, but I think she's had a decent break over the summer between playing and resting. I think she could come in quite good. And if it clicks, I think she can score an assist quite high. Okay. I, I think her G plus A goals plus assists will be high, but I think a lot of that might be assists. I think Stina will become the main goal scorer in this team. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I, I I fancy her to to do some damage um, in terms of goals scored. So, um, well, a, a, a prediction, I guess, for the season, and I'm going to throw this one to you, Pippa, and it's less putting you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, who will win the 2022 Ballon d'Or, and why will it be Beth Mead? <laughs> She's she's got a real shot at it, at it, hasn't she? Oh, of course. I mean, I don't understand. Well, I'm sure everyone that listens to this podcast has always given her her fair dues, but I feel like a lot of WSL fans have never really given Beth Mead the, the plaudits that she deserves. Obviously, I can understand because you've got a Vivian Meadimer in the team that was always getting the recognition and obviously scoring all the goals. But Beth Mead has always been an out-and-out like number nine player. Um, and she's always been a striker. And, and now we've seen what she's done in the Euros, literally winning player of the tournament and golden boot. We know what she can do. Uh, it's it's actually absurd when I think about it that she wasn't even selected under a previous manager, but let's not even talk about that too much. Um, we're talking about the Euros, um, the national team, of course. But for Arsenal, we know what she can do. So Ballon d'Or, why not? She's a European champion. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I think she's going to do it. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why I think she's going to First of all, we know how much international tournaments drive these these sorts of awards. And if you win the tournament and you're top scorer and you're voted player of the tournament, I think that takes you into the top three pretty much regardless. Like look at yeah. like someone like Megan Rapino gets into the top three, basically not playing any club football, doing mm-hmm. stuff like that. But the other factors, Alexia Putaeus is injured oh, yeah. and oh. she would be a lock for it otherwise. So the actual best player in the world is basically out of the running. And Barca didn't win the Champions League as well, which, you know, I, I still think the injury is the main thing that takes her out of the running. Viv, you know, didn't get going in the Euros because of covid um, and so I, I think that kind of takes another one of the favourites out. Sam, oh. Okay, sorry, go on. I was, was going to say, Sam Kerr, Australia have not had a major tournament this summer. I think next summer, next year, sorry, you know, World Cup, yeah, Sam Kerr will come back into that. And USA haven't had um, a big tournament either. So your Alex Morgans, your Megan Rapinos, they're not around. Uh, you know, the people who seem to just have a place in the Ballon d'Or yeah. Uh, voting because of who they are. Marta did not play in the Copa America for Brazil. I think the Ballon d'Or is wide open. Yeah. And I think Beth Mead has been one of the best performers in Europe to this point, And she's got like the international recognition. So I, I'm going to say she is going to win the golden, uh, the golden boot, the, the Ballon d'Or. And I've got a shout my, my mate, Will at N5 N7 badges. Um, he put a tenor on Beth Mead to win Sports Personality of the Year, uh, the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year, before the tournament began, and they weren't even doing odds. They did special odds for him at 66 to 1. Oh, wow. um, and he put a tenner on that. And I tell you what, I, I think he's got a big <laughs> chance. He's winning the money. <laughs> Probably. 
Um, I, would, I would add that I think Alex Pop has a fair chance to put on the yeah. as well, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. mainly because obviously she did decent with Wolfsburg and obviously they won the league back and everything. Um, I think, yeah, Alex Pop. And weirdly enough, I think Alexia is still going to end up in the top three or top five somehow. Yeah. Just because, I mean, Barca did win the, you know, invincible season, which is quite big and all that stuff, yeah. but and made it to Champions League final. But then, yeah, it's just, it is, I agree with though, it's it's just wide open. You literally just have no idea how it's going to go and how the judges are kind of basing it off of. Because, yeah, like, even if you look at Beth, like, obviously this is an Arsenal podcast, but we all know that we did fuck all this season. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, Beth only has international kind of appearance for that and, and it is like quite heavy when you look at what she did at this tournament uh you know she won it she got the golden boot and she got the mvp so it is quite big but then i just wonder how much of a club presence they're going to take into account yeah know? yeah that's fair um i i i'm I, she 100 percent in the top three hundred percent yeah definitely I, I think just by the euros alone uh she'll be in the top three um and, and on that um and, and i'll throw this one to you again pippa um, because it's, it, it's kind of a nice segue, actually, this question. At Ohider, um, at O underscore high underscore D-E-R, with Mead and Leah lifting the trophy, who else was your standout player at the Euros for, from an Arsenal perspective? Wait, sorry, say that again, sorry? So with Leah and Beth lifting the trophy, um, mm-hmm. which other Arsenal player impressed you most at this tournament? Um, I would say... The first thing that comes to mind, and um, this is no particular in no particular order, uh, Leah Walty in the Netherlands game, um, mainly because as soon as she came off, that game completely changed, and it was well open, wide open for Netherlands to start scoring goals all of a sudden, and she was instrumental in that game. Laura, of course, for Austria. Only I think mainly because of the surprise factor for me, because I haven't really seen that level of performance from her in an Arsenal shirt. So to see that live in the flesh for Austria, I was really impressed with her. Uh, am I missing someone really important here? Let me think. Those are the two main standout ones for me, if I'm being honest with you. Obviously, everyone had a pretty decent tournament, um, some more so than others, of course, but I would go for Leah and Laura. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Laura Weinreuter. Um, I, again, it, it might be the surprise factor, but it, even taking that away, I still mm. I still think it's probably her. Like Frieda Marnham and Viv Miedema, didn't really like their teams didn't have great tournaments um so I, I don't think you can really say either of them you know Manu Zinsberger she had a good tournament until she didn't yeah, um, towards yeah. the end so it's kind of difficult to choose her so um yeah I agree with that um Alex I'm gonna throw this one to you um because the next question I'm definitely gonna throw to Pippa about Nikita Paris um if you had the chance to sign one player from each of Chelsea, Manchester United and Manchester City, who would they be? Well, Manchester United is easy. Oh, not after this tournament. Um, no, my, my go-to was on a, was always um, on about you. Um, but are we doing this realistically as to what we need or just like an ideal? Mm. No, nope, just to, if you could take one from each and any player. Okay, I'm going to save on about you for Barcelona. <laughs> I'm going to get Alessia Russo. I've, I I write her so much. Uh, I mean, she's obviously proved herself this entire tournament, but it just the her football intelligence, I think, is being overlooked. You know, she's a great goal scorer, but the way she scores goals and the way she moves inside the box to score these goals is just ridiculous, and you don't really see that quite often. 
Man City, Kira Walsh, always. Um, Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea is a hard one. I. Oh, God. I really like Melanie Loipols. I know she's out, but I really. Um, Melanie Loipols is another underrated player in the midfield that I think is, is a really good powerhouse. And you kind of see. I am. You know, I know this is Arsenal, but I am very curious to see what Chelsea do to replace Melanie Loipols because I think. Um, that's a big, big loss. And she was a big loss for Germany as well in the midfield. But I think those, yeah, I think those three are my go-tos. Yeah, I, I agree with that on Chelsea. And, and it doesn't look like they've they've got a move to replace her yet. Not one that I know of anyway. Um, I, I agree with you, um, Pippa. I'll ask you the same question actually in a second. So get thinking because um, I think this is an interesting one. Completely agree on Russo. I'd take Russo from Manchester United. Um, Chelsea... I'm not going to fuck about. I'm just going to say Sam Kerr, <laughs> quite frankly, because she's Sam Kerr. I, I, I've just said I think Stinnell will win the golden boot, but I think Sam Kerr wins you shit, and it's as simple as that. So I don't really care who else we have up front, Sam Kerr. Um, from City, I, I'm torn between Walsh and Hemp just because I'm looking at what I think Arsenal need. They need a wide player. Would love to take Lauren Hemp, maybe even Chloe Kelly, because maybe we need a wide player, a wide right. So, actually, yeah, I'll say Chloe Kelly um, from City. Um, yeah, th- those are my three. What about you, Pippa? So, mine are pretty, very much similar. Um, for Manchester City, it would have to be Kira Walsh from me. I'm expecting her to be in an Arsenal shirt very soon, to be honest. Don't, that's not a rumor. I'm just expecting it. <laughs> um, from Manchester United. I mean, obviously, like, honestly, on the back of the Euros, I'm just going to say Alessia Russo. And for, for the player that she is anyway, she is 100% top pick for anyone. And I was going to try and be different with Chelsea. My initial answer was Guru Rayton. But, I mean, because I think, I think... That's a great player. shout. That is a really good shout, yeah. Like, the, the chances she creates, and she's just a good midfield, good player. But, I mean, hello, Sam Kerr. I mean, how can you not pick Sam Kerr? Sorry, I tried to be different, Guru. Um, but it wasn't working. I, I, that, that is a really good shout, actually. And, and again, given that Arsenal probably need another wide player, uh, yeah. you know, I really like Guru right, and I think she's a fantastic player, unfortunately, given yeah. who she plays for. Um, Pippa, I'm going to throw this one to you because I know you've always like held a bit of a candle for Nikita Paris, and obviously, oh, oh gosh, in in the next in the next couple of days, um, her her uh, one season Arsenal stint will be over, unfortunately. But this is from Steffi T at Steffi T19. Should we be worried um, about letting Nikita Paris go to Manchester United? They look like they could be really good this season, and now she has a year back in the WSL I'm guessing she'll have a much better impact I feel like we should have kept her what do you think I wouldn't particularly be worried um only because even though Nikita Paris was given many chances I feel like she's given a fair few chances to cement her place in the team this season um she didn't really quite hit the ground running even when she had those games in the pre-qualifiers in the Champions League in some games in some League Cup games it wasn't the Nikita Paris we know from a few seasons ago it wasn't, you know, like the Man City it, Paris. It wasn't the Paris that we was expecting to get Arsenal, which kind of hurts me to say that because I was really looking forward to seeing her play for Arsenal and seeing, like, I envisioned her linking up with Miedemar and scoring loads of goals and continuing her goal-scoring record and breaking it again and so on and so forth. But it just hasn't been, you know, 
the, the dream season that she expected and I'm sure Arsenal fans expected too. But in that, in the same breath, I wouldn't be, um, what was the word? What did they, what did worried. They worried. I wouldn't be worried. Um, of course, um, if she gets plenty of games at Manchester United, she could obviously find form because that's, that's it. that is how players find form with regular game time. And if that's what she has at Manchester United, then it could be a worrying thing because she might find her, her flame again or the, the player that she was. It might come back out of her again. But um, no, no, I'm not too worried. Of course, Manchester United are, are pressing on and for those Champions League spots as well. So that's the only concern, but I wouldn't be completely worried, no. Yeah, 100%. I, I think she needed to go. It, it just wasn't a fit, I think, for her and for Arsenal. She needed to go. Someone else needs to come in who fits what Jonas Eideval actually wants. Really good player, but not not for a Jonas team. I, I, I think, though, that the United front four is shaping up quite nicely, like Garcia and Paris with Russo up front and Toon, like I think that looks a good front four, I have to say, and, and a big improvement on what they've had before, um, to be honest. So I, I'm not sure I'm worried, but at the same time, I don't want to be complacent. I, th- I think I think that brings United up um, a little bit, and I can see Keats doing really well um, in, that, in that kind of front four, um, to be honest. So I don't think we should have kept her. Um, but I mean, but where else was she going to go? Like she was, uh, she was going to stay in the WSL most likely, and she wasn't going to go to like Reading or Everton or anyone like that. She was going to go to a good club. So I, I kind of think it's maybe a bit beyond our control, um, and, and just one of those things. And if we replace her well, it's all good with me. I think we become a better team as well. Um, and, and this uh, l- last two questions then, and, and this one actually relates a little bit. Um, and I will throw this to you, Alex. With Tobin and Nikita gone, what type of player, uh, wide player, needs to come in to best complement players like Miedemer, Stina Blackstinius and Beth Mead? And I think we can assume that those three players are definitely going to be, you know, very regular starters. Um, and then you've got like Katie McCabe can play on the left, but there needs to be another there. What what type of uh, wide player do you think we should go for? I think I'm going to back myself because I know I said this a few episodes ago of a young, fresh player. Um, I think, you know, you look at Beth, Viv and Stina, you know, they're not the youngest of people, although they still are young, but they're, they've been in the game a long time and, and they're kind of settled in their ways um, in terms of style playing what they're comfortable with. Whereas like if you bring in a young player and you teach that young player to play with them, that could just blow up to be outstanding. Um, and when you look at, you know, the young wingers at, at the, basically just looking at the Euros, because if we look at the entirety of Europe, um, I can keep the names going for a while, but you look at the first person that comes to mind is um, Atenea del Castillo for Spain she had Rachel Daly literally eating grass on the floor, like left and right. Um, if you look at a young player like that, that has so much excitement around her and she's still developing. If you have, you know, I know Geze was fell through for Arsenal, but that kind of age, um, you see uh, Nuria as a fullback for Barca. You have all these really young players who are just very keen to keep learning and get better and play for a big club. And I think that energy that, that they bring for, you know, the one-on-ones, and you see it in England, you know, the Chloe Kelly, the Lauren Hemps, the Beth Mead, they have that energy to take on the 1v1s. And if you get a young player that has that energy and they want to learn, you know, a good style play and play with arguably, you know, some of the best players in the world, I think that could do Arsenal really well. And I think that could do Arsenal well also because they're young, they're very keen to prove themselves in the WSL. 
Um, whereas, you know, all these players are, again, like more experienced and have a bit more of a calmer approach than, say, a, a young player very keen to prove themselves in, in a big team, in a big league, you know, on TV. Um, but I think that kind of fresh mindset could do Arsenal really well and could aid the fullbacks that we have and, and allow our fullbacks to kind of go forward and stuff. Um, but I think, yeah, just like a young, exciting player who's not afraid of, to take on 1v1s, but it's also like still a lot of room to, to grow under Arsenal. I think that could benefit us like really, really well. I've got a young, I've got a young player that I'm just going to be bold. I'm, I know you mentioned some names, but I've literally, I get excited every time I see this player touch the ball. She literally gave us a nightmare on that Champions League night. I'm sure you know who I'm going to say. She was excellent during the Euros, obviously because she played in a team that didn't excel that far. Wasn't spoken about enough. I honestly can't pronounce her name properly. Jons Dottir. Honestly, that's a player and a half and she's young. And she, for me, I think she just has it all. Like, those are the type of signings that I think Arsenal should be going for. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you look at if you look at Wolfsburg, they have Eula Brand and now Jonas Sestier, and in the mix of that, you have you know the Alex Pops and you know yeah. the more experienced players. I think that's a brilliant combination. Yeah, and Svenja Huth, who had an amazing tournament. So I think yeah, I think that's the kind of player that I would love to sign. Yeah, I, I think Jonas Dottir is a, a great shout. I, I think that's exactly, um, I'm not going to go with names so much, but I think that's exactly the type. I think that's the type that Jonas wants, right? He targeted JC. Um, I think, I believe there was some interest in uh, Kanarid as well, the Swedish winger who's going to Chelsea, both one-on-one, pacey, take players on direct. He signed Tobin Heath. That was one player he did sign. You know, that shows you what he wants players that kind of stay wide take players on dribble we know Beth Mead does that as well so yeah I I think a player of that ilk um although you know I wouldn't say no to like Svenja Hutt um not that I think that's particularly realistic but agree I think she was brilliant in the Euros as well um I'm gonna come well Pippa, you and I have spoken a bit about Laura Weinreuter, and this is a question about her, but Alex, you haven't. So I'm going to throw this one to you before we do our last question. Um, last question is going to be from me and just for a bit of fun. Um, this one's from Joe Lewis Monty at Jolo Moco on Twitter. How encouraged were you by Laura Weinreuter's performances in this Euros? Uh, she seemed to show form and confidence I don't think we'd seen for the club as yet. Um, and I found it really encouraging about what she could contribute this season. What about you? Yeah, I definitely agree with Joe there. Um, I, I'm, I'll put it down to the fact that she, you know, is still getting used to the style of play in Arsenal. You know, she's come from, I think the WSL is very different to, to leagues elsewhere in Europe, um, especially when you look at, you know, a German league, a Swedish league. Those leagues are a bit, um, the focus of the football is quite different. And she came in here, you know, with a bit of pressure, because, you know, Noel Maritz has has kind of settled in quite well. You have Katie McCabe on the other wing, Steph Catley. You know, the fullback roles at Arsenal are, are quite... Um, you have a lot of pressure to perform, especially when you look at the people in front of you on top of that. Uh, so I, I think she, I don't think she's settled at Arsenal just yet. And when you look at her playing for Austria, who's obviously a team who she's played for for a while. So she's a lot more comfortable. And I think that's something to look forward to. I think that's what we can expect from her once she's settled in well and and she's kind of used to the people around her and I think you know she did she did really well at the Euros and I think it's just that of her being able to kind of calm down and play her football without overthinking it too much just yet um so I think I think it is promising and Tim your hot take might be right that she might be the starter by the end of the season (laughs) 
Oh, that wasn't that wasn't my. I I don't think she will be. I, I oh, rate Noel merits uh, very highly, but I, I I agree. I'm very enthused by by what we saw, albeit in maybe a slightly more defensive team. I think that that's where my I wouldn't call it a doubt, but I think that's where you know I'm interested to see how it translates because obviously for Arsenal there's the the going forward bit, and I think Noel yeah. Noel merits does some really really good stuff there that um that actually a lot of people don't notice. So yeah. I, I'm gonna throw one in just as a bit of for fun, and look, we'll do like a proper season preview pod like in a few weeks just before the season starts hoping to get a very very special guest for that as well but in the meantime going to ask you both for a prediction at this point and i will start with alex and then go to pippa um may 2023 comes along alex the season's over who's arsenal's player of the season oh i'm gonna have to go with viv I I know it's cliche, but I think the context around the fact that she's going to be playing as a 10 and the fact that it could be her last season with Arsenal, I think that could add up to be a very, very good season. Um, and again, as I mentioned, I think she can easily just pull off shit ton of goals, shit ton of assists and have that important figure. Um, it is hard because obviously, you know, Beth Mead, Katie McCabe, all these players are coming off of really good seasons and they can carry the momentum quite well into the new season. But I think Viv is just going to be, she's going to overarch everyone because she does so much, if that makes sense. Because she's going to be the, you know, the playmaker and the goal scorer. Um, and, you know, this is, of course, assuming that she can play to all of her abilities. And this goes really, really well for us. But I think I'm going to have to say Viv. Fair. I mean, nobody would be surprised if that was the case. And I, I do think there is something in her starting this season as a 10 and knowing that that's where she's going to play the whole season and having a bit more of a pre-season than she had last year, etc., etc. Pippa, before I come to you, I'm going to give you my shot. I mean, if my my big prediction of Steena winning the golden boot comes true, it'll be her. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of stick with that. But I'll also say one of our other January signings, Hafaieli, I think if she stays fit, all of next season, I think that's that's, I think that's a big thing for Arsenal. I think that Williamson Hafaieli um, centre back partnership to me looks like it could be really, really, really strong, and we didn't see it enough in the second half of last season, unfortunately. So I think Hafaieli, um, if she stays fit, might might be up there. But Pippa, who who do you think will be standing on that podium in May twenty twenty three? Before I give my answer, I realised that should have been the bold prediction I should have gone for Hafaieli. <laughs> Because it's very rare that a defender is like a player of the season or, or ever gets any type of award. But, I mean, Copper America... Is it Copper America she just won, isn't it? Yeah. And honestly, I'm looking forward to that link up at the back there. But my player of the season, May 2023, is without a doubt, no hesitation in this one. It's her world right now and we're living in it. I'm giving it to Beth Mead. Fair, fair. I mean, she won this season's award. Well, actually, well, it's last season now, isn't it? Yeah. Won last season's award by a landslide. And, you know. Back to back. Yeah. And, and again, like if she wins the Ballon d'Or in December or, you know, that's that, that's going to drive a lot of voting. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think if we get another like big season from Beth Mead, like the one we had, then at that point you just say 
this is one of the, this is not form anymore. This is just one of the best players in the world doing bits week after week, which is what I think we're beginning to see from Beth. But um, yeah, just a little bit of future casting there. And I look forward to us all being completely wrong um, this time next year when Laura Weinreuter wins player of the seas. <laughs> Top assister of the WSL. Watch out. <laughs> from right back. Um, so yeah, listen, that's that. We'll, we'll wrap it up there because we'll do another pod, like I said, in a couple of weeks um, before the season starts shooting for well we, we've got like a, a very good guest lined up to help us do um that season review it's just they're such a good guest that their schedule um is is challenging um but we'll we'll do like a proper season review um in a couple of weeks and perhaps mix that with a mailbag and we might see some other bits and pieces um during august as well and and obviously i you know the club might do a media day before the season starts and in that case you know we'll get you some some player interviews and the rest of it but obviously most of them are on holiday at the moment so um, we'll definitely have a season preview um, with that as yet unnamed, a very special guest. Um, and then we might do something else in the meantime. We probably will. But uh, in the meantime, Pippa, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me as always. And Alex, thank you so much as ever as well. A pleasure. And thank you to all of you for your questions. Apologies to the guys on Discord. I did say that I'd put a shout out for questions in there and I just completely forgot. We got 80 questions uh, in response to the tweet on Tuesday and obviously we can only select uh, a, a really small slice of them. So thanks so much for all your questions um, as ever. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts and, and make it clear that it's about the Arsenal Women Arscast. Um, you know, so we get some feedback on that as well. Open to feedback, constructive, positive, negative, or otherwise. Any abuse, send it my way, please. Um, and I'll add it to the tab. But other than that, we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. And thanks so much for joining us as ever. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>